to Matthew chapter 6. Um, if you don't have your Bible, Scripture is printed in your bulletin on page 6. There's a place to take notes on page 7. We're going to be looking at Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. But what Jesus talks about in these three verses um, is related to what he's been talking about at the beginning of the chapter. So we're actually going to start in verse 1 to be reminded of what Jesus is trying to say. So this is Matthew 6, verses 1 and then 16 through 18. Friends, listen. This is the word of God. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, I'm sorry, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the Word of God. We're going to start today by looking at the when of fasting. Because there's a word that Jesus uses in these verses that I think is probably the most striking thing that will kind of cut us a little bit and jump into our kitchen. Um, he uses this word twice. Uh, and it's the word when. It's the word when. You see that? Jesus uses this word in a phrase, and most people don't expect this. Verse 16, he says, and when you fast. Verse 17, but when you fast. And so Jesus assumes that his followers are going to fast. Now, the mechanics of fasting are pretty simple. Fasting is intentionally going without food for a purpose. Okay, intentionally going without food for a purpose. Uh, but most people, and I'm talking about both Christians and non-Christians, most people have never heard any teaching on why fasting is a part of a relationship with Jesus. Before I began to study this, my only experience with teaching on anything that was like fasting was, was hearing about hunger strikes. Right? When I was in college, I went to UCLA, and every so often there was a group of people who got so frustrated uh, with the establishment that they would go on a hunger strike. And they would build tents out in a place that was a, one of the common areas on campus. And, and it was interesting because these were either peaceful or they were a peaceful part of a not-so-peaceful protest against the powers that be, right? The powers that be are doing something. We're going to not eat until, you know, and, and the, the effort was to try to guilt or shame the powers into giving in to the demands of the protesters. That was the only experience that I had with regard to fasting, and, and I can tell you that from the Bible's perspective, nothing could be farther from the truth. Like, that's not what biblical fasting is about. Okay? Jesus teaches, and it's interesting because in this passage, Jesus, he's not giving a full teaching on fasting. Um, what he's doing is he's warning against an abuse of fasting. And so we're going to look at that abuse first, and then we're going to come back to understanding what 
fasting is. So Jesus sort of says, don't do this first. So that's the second point that we're going to see. We've seen the when of fasting. Second, Jesus addresses the abuse of fasting. And Jesus here, he talks again about the hypocrites. The hypocrites, unfortunately, these were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Right? The folks who were in charge of helping people to know God. And the frustrating thing is they became hypocrites and actually didn't help people know God. They drove people farther away from God. And part of how they did that was in the way that they conducted their religious or their spiritual lives. Okay? For these folks, when they fasted, they made sure that everyone knew they were fasting. Okay? That's what Jesus is saying here. Right? They disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. So we get introduced to one of the religious leaders, one of the Pharisees um, of Jesus' day in the Gospel of John. And his name was Nicodemus. And uh, so the idea here is that this is kind of how Nicodemus would be. So you would see Nicodemus, and it would be like this. And you see, hey, Nick, what's up? How you doing? Oh, I'm so hungry. Oh, I'm hungry. Nicodemus, why are you hungry? Oh, well, I'm fasting because of the spiritual poverty of our nation. Our nation is so evil, and I'm just thankful that, well... I can be kept clean from the stains of our corrupt culture, but I'm fasting so that everybody would see the light. Oh. Right? I mean, this is what Jesus is describing. People who disfigure their faces so that people would look at them and know, and know that this is why they're doing this. And you think I might be exaggerating? But look, Jesus says in Luke 18, check this out, two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, we got Nick, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. So now he's not fasting, now he's in God's presence. And look, listen to this. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He's just basking in his self-righteousness. Right? This is what he says. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Right? You see him. He's defining his righteousness based on his, his fasting and his obedience. And, but then look what Jesus says in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's interesting, the Pharisees habitually fasted twice a week, right? We see that from this passage. 
And it was usually, scholars tell us, on the second and the fifth days of the week. Now, listen to this. These two days just happened to be the major days for the Jewish market. Okay, so these are the two days when the whole city was packed with farmers, with merchants, and with shoppers. And so, therefore, the Pharisees just happened to pick the two days when their public fasting would have the largest audiences. Right? This is when everybody was out, and so they would get the most bang for their, hey, check me out, buck. And so Jesus here, this is what Jesus is condemning. He's condemning the practice of fasting when it's done to receive the praise of others. And I think it's interesting because I don't know, I don't think in my years of being a Christian, I've been a Christian a little over 20 years, and I don't think I've ever met somebody who has, at least that I can tell, was doing this. Okay, like I've never, I, I've talked to people before about fasting, and Jesus' words here don't mean that you should never talk about your fasting, because there's times when as a church community, it's important for us to be able to support each other, it's important for us to be able to learn from each other when it comes to things like fasting, so Jesus isn't saying that, but as I thought about what Jesus is condemning here, I feel like, you know, we all have this ability to do the right things in front of other people. You know, we might not be guilty of fasting like the Pharisees, but I think Jesus' warning hits home to us when we are in public different from who we are in private. Yeah, I think that's what Jesus is getting at. Um, it's because then our public activities are a sham. Right? We're lying about who we really are. You know, if you, if you waltz around the city fasting, um, and yet you've never fasted, actually, in secret, then you've never really fasted. And it's interesting, because fasting is designed to make us closer to God, but it actually distances us from God when we corrupt it, okay? And God notices this. Look at this verse. This is in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 7, verse 5. This is God talking. He says, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? So God has this ability. He just wants to put the question to us. When you fasted or when you did that spiritual duty, did you do it for me? Or did you do it so that you could tell somebody else that you did it? This is what he's aiming for. When you do that, you know, the real problem with hypocrisy isn't being called a hypocrite, right? Although most people don't want to be called a hypocrite, but that's not the real problem. Jesus doesn't take delight in calling people hypocrites, but Jesus knows there's a sadness and an emptiness that comes with hypocrisy. There's a sadness and an emptiness because, yeah, you get noticed by others, but that's it. That's it. Verse 16, Jesus says, Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So Jesus says, you did this so that others would see you? Okay, mission accomplished. You got what you were aiming for. 
Jesus is saying here that they're gonna, they're, they'll receive nothing from God. You know, getting affirmation and approval of other people, it can be a wonderful thing. It really can be. I think part of us are wired to be approved by others. Like, that's part of God bringing people into our lives to keep us, you know, just from knowing kind of where we stand and how we're doing. We need people from the outside looking in. But when you have to lie about your relationship with God to get it, to get that approval, that's when approval can't ever satisfy. Because you know it's a lie. You know it's empty. And so Jesus wants to set us free. Okay, Jesus wants to set us free. So if you're feeling some hypocrisy in your life, if you're feeling there's an area of your life when you've been a hypocrite, the good news is that Jesus came for you. Okay, Jesus came for you. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the whole thing that we're in chapter, we're in the second chapter of, this is how it begins. In Matthew 5, verse 2, Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about this when we preached on it. Poor in spirit means blessed are the spiritual zeros. Blessed are the people who don't have genuine spirituality. So another way to think about this, Jesus says, blessed are the hypocrites when they admit they're hypocrites. Jesus wants to set you free by pointing out the hypocrisy that's in your heart, that's latent there, that's in my heart. He wants us to come clean about it. Because once we do, then he gives us his kingdom. He blesses us. He, gives, he makes us part of his family. And he does this. He, he forgives you. He welcomes you because Jesus wants the world filled with forgiven people. People who know that they aren't perfect and they're honest about it. Like That's the good news. This is why Jesus came. And so this is the abuse of fasting. Our third point is the gospel in fasting. The gospel in fasting. You actually, if you can understand what fasting is, it will help you understand the gospel. It'll help you understand and experience Jesus. Because even though Jesus confronts hypocritical fasting, he doesn't want us to throw it out entirely. Verse 17 is the right way to fast. He says, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. For us, that means take a shower. Take a shower. Um, it's, look normal. Uh, don't fast for other people so that they think you're super spiritual. You should fast for God. Because when you do this, Verse 17 says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. So we need to step back and, and take a few minutes just to understand the Bible's teaching on fasting. Okay, It's kind of a big topic. We can't get into all the details here. But if you look up all the instances of fasting in the Bible, and there's probably around 30, about 30 of them, places and people who fast, um, People, you, you kind of can consolidate them under three main headings. There's just three biblical reasons to fast. Okay? When you, number one, are in an emergency. Two, when you're sorry for sin. 
Or three, when you want to know God and his will. These are the three times in the Bible when people fast. And so if you want a good list, you can email me, or if you want to put on the connection card that you'd like me to send you the list, I'd be happy to do that. Um, and that way you can look it up. And so the point here is, I mean, this is where it gets really personal. Like, if you've never fasted, I want to encourage you to do this. The idea here is it's, it's when the grief is too much. It's when it really is an emergency. It's when the sorrow is overwhelming. It's when you're desperate, when you're out of options. It's when nothing else but God will do or no one else but God can do. Jesus would say, come and fast. Come to me with fasting. Because what it, to fast, to fast is to say, I can't do this. To fast is to say, I'm powerless. I have no strength. God, I need you. I need you. That's what it means to fast. Now, you can pray that without fasting. But fasting actually engages you more fully in prayer. Okay, because when you fast, you're actually engaging body and soul in your prayers. Because fasting is a physical expression of the cry of your heart. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, in the Bible, food is the normal way that our body receives strength. Right? It's generally how we live. We eat, it gives us the strength that we need to do what we're supposed to do, to, to be alive, to work, to be in relationship, all these things. Right? Food fills us up to give us the energy and the strength that we need. So to fast is to say, God, I'm going to go without strength because, God, I have no strength. I can't accomplish what needs to happen. And so I am going to admit that both in my heart and also in my body. I'm going to go without strength because I need you, God. I need your strength to come. Does that make sense? I mean, so fasting is this physical expression of the cry of your heart. It's interesting because sometimes in our spirituality, we, we, we neglect our bodies. You know, we think that, okay, well, that we need to kind of undo the physical in order to become more spiritual. But with fasting, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Bring your physical and your spiritual together. Because your physical body can actually aid you. It can help you to, to grow closer to God. Because physically, what happens to you when you fast is you get hungry. You get weak. Isn't this the expression of your heart? God, I'm overwhelmed. I can't believe what I have done. 
I'm so sorry, and I can't save myself. God, I can't do anything about my sin except confess it to you. I am powerless to save myself. So I'm going to go without strength. I'm going to go without food. Because I need you. Isn't that the gospel? Friends, all of us have fallen short of God's glory. We've all broken his laws. We've all, I mean, we are, we we are, we fall short of his perfect standard, and yet God has come to save. And we cry out to him so that he will save us, and he does. When we're hungry, hunger reminds us of just how really hungry we are. You know, physically, you feel the hunger pains, and the design of fasting is that that ought to remind you of how much you desperately need God. Your hunger is distracting. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to distract you because your body is saying, I need food. And when your body says, I need food, you then can preach the gospel to yourself and you can remind yourself, you know what? What I really need is God. I need God's presence in my life. God, I need your strength, not mine. My strength won't fix this, but yours will. This is what fasting does. And when we cry out, like when we cry out to God because... It is overwhelming. We are desperate. There are no options. In our fasting, God meets us. God sees us in secret and rewards us. Oftentimes, the part of the reward that God gives is he reminds us of the gospel. He reminds us that Jesus came to save us from our sins. He reminds us that Jesus is the bread of life, that if anyone eats him, he'll never, ever be hungry again. Right? Jesus came because we were powerless. We were dead in our sins, unable to produce life, and yet God saved us. Jesus came, and Jesus fasted for 40 days to prepare for his ministry. He entered into a fast because he came to save the world from their sins. He came to do battle with the devil, to overcome the power and the punishment of sin. And so Jesus needed God. Jesus needed the strength and the glory and the presence of his Father. And on the cross, Jesus emptied himself of more than food, of more than water. He said on the cross, I thirst. But Jesus emptied himself of honor, of blessing. He emptied himself of righteousness. He became sin and was treated as sin for us. For you. For you. Jesus took our punishment on the cross so that when we are empty, he will fill us.
it's interesting because when we understand the gospel in this way, we see that fasting, fasting doesn't earn God's blessing. Okay, it's not like if you fast, then you'll receive these amazing, it's, no, the idea here is that fasting is a bodily rehearsal of the gospel. We are engaging our body and our soul together, remembering who we are apart from God, and we're giving God a chance to meet us in that place of hunger and fill us up. Psalm 81, verse 10. God says, I am the Lord your God. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is how fasting works. You fast. You go to God, and then he responds. I read a book uh, that was interviewing people who have spent their lives fasting. And um, one of the people that was interviewed, his name is Al Henson. He said he fasted as a practice of his life one day a week. So just one day a week for his entire life, he's been fasting. And it's interesting because he says, he says, I don't, I don't fast for any particular reason. I fast because I want to know God better. I just want to know God better. And he said, I think fasting is an outward, tangible expression of what's happening inside my heart. I think that when someone fasts, he's saying, I am serious enough about my need and desire to know God and to seek God that I'm willing to sacrifice to get an answer from God. And it's good because he says this. He says, God doesn't care what you sacrifice. He just wants to see your attitude in your fast. And then this is really helpful. Um, listen to this. He says, the first time I ever had an extended fast, my body really craved food. He says, after you get into the third and the fourth day of a fast, though, the body stops craving food. That's good to know. <laughs> right? You're not going to die. It's exciting, right? You've been there. Um, then he goes on, he says, I have learned that the human body will cry out for something it really doesn't need to have. Boy, there's a sermon right there, isn't there? But you think that you need it. After a period of time, I learned that my body doesn't really need food as desperately as it cries out for food. Or relationships, or sex, or, okay, never mind. Um, and then I also find that the further I get into the fast, the more I sense God's presence. And so, when hunger would come during fasting, I would let my hunger call me to God, rather than lead me to food. good. Um, this week, 
I was fasting because of a relational conflict. Um, I felt like I had done everything I possibly could do, and the conflict was not going away. And so I needed God to fix it. I had tried everything, and so I fasted. I started by skipping dinner one evening, and then the next morning, I was praying, because I, I woke up, I was hungry, and I began to pray. And as, I mean, it's so interesting when you do this, because there's this thing that happens, because I'm hungry, and I tell myself, wait a minute, God, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for you. It's not just food that my body needs, but my soul needs you. And it's amazing, constant reminder of how much I need God. And so I was praying. And as I was praying, my hunger was reminding me of how powerless I was. God, I can't do this. I can't fix this. I have no strength to fix the situation. And in that time of prayer, God showed me very clearly how I had contributed to the conflict. I was trying to fix the conflict. I was trying to get everybody else to see their problems. And I mean, it sounds cliche, but it was powerful. God said, Stephen, I just want, I need you to see how you've contributed to this. I thought, wow. And so I humbled myself. I confessed my sin to God. I drew nearer to him. And at that moment, like God set me free. Because not only did I feel the forgiveness of God, but I had this sense of freedom. Because I knew that I was going to enter into a meeting that day, and I was going to start the meeting off by confessing what I had done and asking for forgiveness. And I knew that God was going to take care of the rest. And he did. He did. God brought healing and reconciliation beyond what I could have imagined or hoped for. Beyond all my preparations, God had things come out and brought healing in ways that I was amazed by. And so again, it's not, it's not that our fasting earns something before God, but our fasting gives us an opportunity to rehearse the gospel. To remember who we are, who God is, and what we really need. I read about another a woman this time. This is what she said about fasting. She said, as a mother... I felt that somehow I should be able to make a difference in my son's life. I could see my son making decisions that were causing a downward spiral. And as the burden increased in my heart, I felt myself entering into a new kind of laboring for him. It was almost as though I were about to give birth to him again. Not, of course, in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. And for me, that involved both praying and fasting. So listen to this. She said, because I have a problem with blood sugar levels, right? I know some of you do. So you're hearing this and you're like, well, how can I do? I can't, you know, I, I, you know, I can't do that. So this is what she said. She said, I wasn't able to go long periods of time without food. So I eliminated certain foods or certain meals. 
And what I found was that it's the attitude of the heart that matters to God. It's the coming to God that he is most after. And that her praying, her fasting, was a huge part of how God brought her son back. And so my hope is that you will see the connection here between fasting and the gospel. My hope further is that you will actually begin to fast in your life on somewhat of a regular basis. And I want you also to understand that, look, you want to you pick something that you can fast. You want to give up something that will cause in you a longing, right? Will cause in you a hunger. So it could be food. It could be, dare we say, television, right? You want to think of something that you could give up where you'll be reminded of it on a continual basis. Because it's that experience, it's that physical experience that unites your body and your soul together, and it reminds you, oh yeah, this is who I am before my God. I am hungry, looking to Jesus to satisfy my soul. That's what will bring you back to the gospel. And so, just really, really simply put, if you want to fast, like here are the steps. Okay, if you want to write these down, um, you need to first determine the reason for your fast. Okay, why are you fasting? Is it because you just want to know God better? That's a great reason to fast. Do you have an emergency, right? Is the sorrow overwhelming? Are you desperate? Are you, you just come up with a reason why you're fasting. Okay, so determine that. Second, determine what you're going to fast. Is it going to be food? Is it going to be sugar? Is it going to be solid food? You know, you just think of, is it going to be the television, right? Think of what you're going to fast. So the reason for your fast, what you're going to fast, and then the length of your fast, okay? Okay, I'm going to fast for breakfast this morning. I'm going to fast dinner. Or I'm going to fast for one day. Or I'm going to fast for three days. They, they always say if you're going to go beyond a couple of days, you ought to talk to your doctor before you start a fast, um, and that's good advice. So you want to determine the length of your fast. So that's third. Fourth, rehearse God's promise. Remember that God is in your fast, that he is with you, that he's going to see you fasting, and he's going to reward you. So remember the gospel as you enter into your fast. And then fifth, fast. Do it. Fast, and in your fast, focus on the Lord. As I thought about this, um, I was, actually, I saw this picture of the human heart. And I thought this, it was interesting, because I was trying, I was thinking about, like, what does the heart actually do? You know, you know the heart does two things, right? The heart pumps blood throughout your body right? That's what the red side of the heart does. It pumps blood from the heart throughout your entire body. It brings life-giving oxygen to all of your cells, to all of your muscles, all your tissues, all your bones. Everything lives because the heart pumps oxygenated blood throughout your body. But the heart does something else, because where does the heart get the oxygen? 
right? It gets it from the lungs, right? This half of your heart, the blue half, pumps all of your blood to the lungs and back, right? It sends it to the lungs and back. The heart receives blood that has been spent, blood that has been deprived, it's emptied of oxygen. It doesn't have any life-givingness to it. And so the heart sends it to the lungs where it receives life, brings it back, and then it sends it throughout the rest of your body. I thought, man, isn't that interesting? Because this is exactly what prayer and fasting do. Prayer and fasting are like the heart. When we fast, we are rehearsing that we are empty without God. And so fasting and prayer, it takes us and it sends us into God's presence so that we would receive his life. The oxygen of the gospel, the oxygen of your forgiveness, the oxygen of your perfect standing with God, that he has adopted you into his family, all the promises of God. Fasting sends you back into his presence with this acknowledgement of God Man, I am not what I need to be. God, I'm broken. God, I'm poor in spirit. And God fills us up. He fills us back up with the gospel. And then that gospel is pumped from our hearts, from that time in God's presence, and it gets sent out into every aspect of our life. When you pray and you fast, you go into the presence of God, body and soul, crying out for your needs, asking God to either give you what you, to give you what you need. And what's amazing is that when you do that, God often does things outside of us, right, that we could never do, to bring healing, to bring restoration. This is how it changes us. This is how the gospel changes us. This is why we do it. This is why we pray and fast. It's because we need God's life. We need to be in his presence, rehearsing the gospel. Jesus says that when we do it, and we become like him. As you stand in God's presence, you are changed. You are made like him. His promises fill you up and then send you out. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come now, and though I'm sure most of us are not fasting, we call out our needs. Lord, we need you. You know our struggles, you know our temptations. Just thinking back over the Lord's Prayer, Father, we want your kingdom to come. We want, we need forgiveness. We need your strength. And we thank you that even beyond food, you give us yourself. Help us, Father. Help us to understand and to live out the gospel in this way. Enable us, Lord, to make sacrifice like this, not in an effort to earn something, but because we have give, been given everything from you. Jesus, put on our hearts the reality that you will meet us 
in our fasting. Help us to experience that when we are weak, you are strong. And I pray too, Lord, for those who are here who don't know you. Help them to see that fasting is a picture of what it means to come into a relationship with you. That we can empty ourselves, come and to confess and to be honest about our sin, and that you'll forgive us. That you will draw near to us and fill us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.